The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to a lonely, uh, but hopefully still helpful uh, podcast, uh, The Rebel Alliance. Uh, today you only have P Nate. I'm uh, recording all alone in my office uh, because we just haven't been able to uh, get our schedules uh, aligned this week. But there are a few things I wanted to touch on. And interestingly, Grant and Erica, uh, our friends over at the Awakening Reformation podcast, talked about a lot of the stuff that I was going to touch on. And I think they did a better job than I would have. So I want to commend their podcast to you. But before we get into some of the topics and what I landed on in order to try to be helpful to you today... Let's just uh, get the business stuff out of the way. So this is the Rebel Podcast, uh, and though I don't have my buddy Chris with me, we are the Rebel Podcast, and it drops on Wednesdays. We're part of the Rebel Alliance Media, and in this network, there are a number of podcasts. We have the Awakening Reformation Podcast that comes on Tuesdays, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids coming on Monday. Ben Emery's Redeeming History is on a bit of a hiatus right now, but will be coming back. And we also have the uh, Podcast for Cultural Reformation coming out of the Ezra Institute that drops on Fridays. Uh, we also have uh, teaching videos and videos on engaging culture all over on our Facebook page. So find Rebel Alliance Media on Facebook. You can find all our content, including blog posts and all that kind of stuff at rebelalliancemedia.com. And of course, if you want to give back to this ministry, if you want to give back to the podcast, uh, our content will always be free. But uh, if you've been blessed by it and have the means, we would love your financial support. And you can uh, do that at patreon.com slash rebel alliance. There's also some cool stuff coming out. We're working on a podcast that uh, will hit a, a different demographic, which I'm excited about, but I won't uh, announce it. I'll let the people responsible for it. And uh, of course, we have some fun stuff coming up for Christmas this year, for Lent this year. And we've just completed the Eschatology 201 video series. It's all up on YouTube now. So go share that. It's all been a lot of fun. It's all thanks to your support. So what I want to talk about today is actually two pieces of news. And then I'll get into a little bit of a conversation about Halloween and how Christians ought to think Christianly about Halloween. But the two kind of news piece items that I wanted to talk about was about the John MacArthur Beth Moore controversy and about Kanye West. Of course, yesterday, if you listen to yesterday's podcast by Grant and Erica, the Awakening Reformation podcast, they actually hit both these subjects, and I'm not going to spend nearly as much time talking about them because uh, I thought they did such a great job. I think one of the things that they landed on with the Beth Moore and uh, John MacArthur controversy that uh, was so refreshing was that Christians have sinned on both sides here. So, you know, for those of you who maybe didn't hear that podcast, I would certainly recommend you uh, go and listen to it. But for those of you who don't know what happened at a conference at his church, uh, John MacArthur was sort of playing this word association game 
with Todd Friel. And Todd Friel would give him a word, and then John MacArthur has to respond with a word, and then he kind of gives him a moment to explain what he means by that. And so this was likely just an error in judgment, but not the sort of thing that you probably want to do in in front of that kind of a crowd, um, because Todd Friel says, Beth Moore... John MacArthur responds with go home. And then he goes on to explain what he means by that and, and essentially talks about Beth Moore and her pulpit ministry being a violation of the roles that God has given to women. Uh, he's obviously a complementarian and doesn't believe that women should be preaching from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. And so uh, he went on and, and gave some, I think, very sound pastoral advice. But of course, all of that is overshadowed by his response, go home, which garnered quite a laugh from the crowd. What immediately happened, of course, is that you get everybody, and it wasn't just a sort of egalitarian, complementarian split as, as uh, to whose side who took, but you saw really the entire evangelical world split on this. People kind of tone policing John MacArthur, um, calling him unkind and unloving. And then, of course, the egalitarians just outraged that he would be so misogynistic. And then you had a whole lot of Reformed Christians and Calvinists and complementarians who came to his defense and said, you know, Beth Moore needed to be called out. And what Grant and Erica said that I so appreciated that I uh, kind of wanted to come on and talk about, and of course they did it in, uh, I think, a much better fashion, is that those aren't the only two options. <laughs> the only two options here aren't to jump into defending John MacArthur or jump and defend Beth Moore. There is a middle ground here. And more than that, um, we don't need to be so partisan. We live in a culture that is so divided, so divided politically and ideologically that uh, we're used to the side immediately being drawn, a line in the sand and everybody jumps to either side and every topic, right? So um, when politicians start talking about climate change, you immediately know what you think about that politician because of which side of the political aisle you're on and the same with immigration and the same with, you know, all of these various things. And I I think as Christians, we need to be more comfortable with gray areas. And, And what I mean by that isn't to say that the Bible is unclear about certain things, but what I mean is as Christians, I mean, we we wrestle with these sorts of tensions, right? We, we wrestle with the fact that the Bible teaches about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And those two things seem like they're at odds. And yet the Bible clearly affirms both. Um, we, we also uh, recognize that within our, our evangelical family, there are different views on Christian liberty pertaining to things like alcohol, things like um, Halloween, which we'll talk about in a little bit. We recognize that as Christians, we live in this tension and we ought to be okay with the fact that there are certain areas where we can come down and say there's a little bit right and a little bit wrong on both sides here. And I think what I what I was going to say and what I had biggest issue with uh, in terms of John MacArthur was I think Grant and Erica had a really good point. You know, Christian Liberty would say he's free to play that game, that word association game. It might not have been the most wise thing to do, but he's free to do it. And his response, specifically the kind of pastoral advice that came after, was was good and sound and correct. But, and this would be my issue with MacArthur, is he shouldn't have got himself into that position in the first place. 
And I know I, I preach every Sunday morning. I do conferences and things like that. I know the temptation and the lure to um, be witty and to be funny, to get a little soundbite, to get a little laugh. I know that temptation and that pull almost any time you get in front of a crowd. And I think John MacArthur succumbed to that and he shouldn't have. And, and maybe there are ways that they could have guarded against that. Todd Friel tends to do this quite a bit. And it does sound like mocking. And I don't think that that's Christian rebuke. I don't think that that's rebuke in love. Now, the other thing I do want to say is that um, I'm watching a whole lot of good Christian brothers and sisters who, who say, that's unloving. And, and if what they mean by that is that sort of mocking, that sort of soundbite, that sort of trying to, trying to get a laugh or trying to garner a laugh, I might be able to get on board with it. But as Christians, we always have to make sure that we aren't using the world's definitions of things. To say that what John MacArthur said was unkind or unloving is actually to use the world's definition of love, depending on how we mean it. Because for John MacArthur to rebuke Beth Moore and tell her that her pulpit ministry is illegitimate because she preaches from a pulpit on Sunday mornings to mixed crowd and to men and has teaching authority over men in a church, because she does that, he has every right to rebuke her by God's word. And that is actually the most loving thing to do. The other thing I wanted to point out was that, you know, we have to really be careful as Christians about tone policing. And I've, I've seen so much of this, so many pastors who jumped onto Twitter, or social media to rebuke John MacArthur because of his tone, that he could have said it in a more loving way. And again, what definition of love are they using? But when we're calling somebody out on tone, I think we need to be really careful Right? We need to remember that um, at Mount Carmel, Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. Right, He mocked the belief system of a pagan, uh, of 500 pagans, actually, the, the prophets of Baal who uh, were trying to get their altar lit. And, uh, and uh, Elijah says, you know, maybe, you're, maybe your God is going to the bathroom. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's sleeping. He's, he's literally just mocking them. That's not very nice. It's not very uh, loving um, using the current cultural definition of it. Or, or how about Paul, who in Galatians 2 uh, tells everybody that uh, he confronted Peter to his face because Peter was being inconsistent in um, not eating uh, with the Gentiles um, and kind of accommodating the Judaizers. Or how about later in the same book when Paul tells the Judaizers who are trying to uh, tell all the new Gentile converts that they need to get circumcised, how about when Paul says, I wish that you would just cut your whole member off, right? <laughs> right? He's telling them to castrate themselves. Um, or, or how about Jesus when he's asked about the Tower of Siloam, which was, which was actually a tragedy in its day. It fell and killed a whole lot of people. And, uh, and he's asked about that. And uh, Jesus replies, do uh, you think that they were any less sinners than you? I tell you the truth, if, unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. What about Jesus, um, you know, calling a woman who he knows is committing adultery and, and has had several lovers says, Hey, go get your husband. Right. I mean, uh, how about when he's talking to Nicodemus and he says, you know, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things. Um, and so th there are times in the Bible when that sort of that sort of curt um, straightforward language is used and necessary. And none of us would say that when Jesus calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers, that he's sinning. And we don't dare tone police Jesus or the apostle Paul or Elijah. 
And, and so how about Ezekiel when Ezekiel uh, calls unfaithful Israel um, uh, basically prostitutes? And I mean, he gets very explicit in, in sort of what they're wanting, what they're looking for. Um, so the, the Bible is crass and crude and curt at times, and uh, we have to recognize that. Now, you know, Beth Moore, who is a Christian sister who needs to be, um, I think, corrected by her local church and the, the people who are over her. And we've talked at length on this podcast about some of the difficulties we have had with Beth Moore. But um, she needs to be corrected and it needs to be done in a way that doesn't garner a laugh from a congregation. So I get that. She's not a prophet of Baal who needs to be mocked because her belief system is so offensive to uh, the, the living God um, that, uh, that Elijah needed to do that. So I get that we need to have wisdom in how we employ some of these things, but I just want the, the Christians who are coming down hard on John MacArthur and, and who are known for tone policing um, Christian, faithful Christian teachers of the word, um, you know, you might, you might want to tone it down unless you're willing to also tone police, uh, Jesus and the apostle Paul and, and many of the prophets. Um, so anyway, I said more about that than I wanted to, because really what I want you to do is I want you to go and listen to, uh, Grant and Erica's podcast from yesterday where they talk about this stuff. And I just thought they did a stellar job. It's about a 20 minute conversation at the beginning of their podcast, but the whole thing is definitely worth listening to. The second thing that kind of blew up the internet, the second thing that has been in the news is Kanye, Kanye West, uh, who uh, released an album called Jesus is King. I just kind of wanted to offer a few thoughts on this. Again, Grant and Erica did this as well. And so I would encourage you to go and talk uh, to them and uh, or uh, rather listen to their podcast. And I'm sure when I get Chris back on, because Chris loves Kanye, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more. But we were asked to weigh in on what we thought about Kanye. So here's what I think. I think that Christians should proceed forward with reserved optimism. I think everything I've seen from Kanye, and I've tried to read some articles and follow some things. I listened to um, the interview with his pastor that Apologia Radio did, and I was encouraged by everything that I've seen so far. I've listened to the album. The album just really, it really does just seem like somebody who's had a real encounter with Jesus, who loves Jesus. And it's not as refined. I mean, don't go listening to it thinking uh, and hoping that it's going to be like Shy Lin or something or Timothy Brindle, but it's good. And I think that we should rejoice and be optimistic that uh, what we're seeing in Kanye is real. Now, I, I also want to direct you back to Matthew 13. There's a parable there, the parable of the sowers, the parable of the soils. And there it shows that both the third and the fourth kind of soil produce fruit, only one of which lasts right? The, uh, the third type of soil grows up quickly, but then gets choked out by weeds. And Jesus in his, in his answer key kind of tells us that that's the, uh, the cares and the snares of this world, right? The love of money, the love of the difficulties of this world, choking out the fruit. So, um, what we need to do is we need to pray for Kanye that his heart is the fourth kind of soil, not the third kind and pray that his fruit doesn't get stomped out, doesn't get choked out. Of course, we've seen publicity stunts by Kanye in the past, and, uh, and maybe this is one of them, but it doesn't seem that way, at least not yet. Um, so I think we should pray for him and we should be optimistic, reserved optimism. And I think what we should do is believe that God can still save. I mean, all of the doubt and all of the, I guess, suspicion of Kanye really comes from a sort of 
lack of faith in God's ability to save someone as depraved as Kanye. And I think that the doctrine of total depravity would remind us that we are all lost and totally depraved um, until God regenerates our hearts. And so there's no degrees of closeness to God. There's no such thing as somebody who seeks, right? Romans 3 tells us no one seeks for God, no, not one. Um, and there's no one good, no, not one. No one seeks for God, no one understands. And um, so if Romans 3 tells us that, there's no such thing as a seeker. There's nobody, no such thing as somebody being close. There's, nobody, there's no such thing as somebody almost being there. God saves you and brings a dead person to life, or he doesn't. And those are the only two conditions. And so um, we ought to cultivate the kind of faith that could see people like Kanye get saved. And, uh, and, you know, and as a pastor who loves and preaches and teaches the gospel, I struggle with this at times, right? There's a, there's a couple in our church right now who have started coming and they've been coming faithfully and I'm praying for them. And when I look at their life and I think if God would save them, there's a whole lot of unentanglement from the sin that they're caught up in. And right, I, I mean, if there's somebody who's, you know, a drug addict or somebody who um, is uh, involved in multiple relationships or, you know, is in the middle of a divorce or a homosexual couple or something, when God saves people who are in the midst of sin, unentangling yourself from sin is messy. And I get that Kanye is, has been living a life that is so entangled with some of the sin that is available to people with his kind of money and lifestyle that isn't available to the rest of us. And so it's hard to imagine what it looks like to unentangle oneself from that sort of sin. But God still saves. And when he regenerates a heart, he does complete the work that he starts. So uh, we ought to pray for Kanye. And the, the last thing I want to say is, irrespective of what has actually happened in Kanye's heart and only time will tell. Um, and quite honestly, that's between him and God. Our job is to pray and be optimistic. But the, the thing that uh, I wanted to say about the whole Kanye situation is I love, and we all ought to rejoice no matter where we fall or what our suspicion level is. I love that he called his album, Jesus is King. And you know, it reminded me, I was, uh, I was preaching uh, in uh, the, the gospel account of uh, John the other day. And in the book of John, John records that Caesar Augustus wrote on uh, the sign above Jesus' cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the Jews got upset with, with Pilate because they said what you should have wrote was he claimed to be King of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. And what struck me as I was reading that and I was thinking about this Kanye thing is that God used Pilate, and don't get me wrong, Pilate who tries to absolve himself from sin, who isn't courageous enough to save Jesus, even if he really wanted to. I mean, we have no reason to suspect that he was a sort of innocent victim who had to give in to the Jews. I mean, uh, Pilate is just as culpable in that in the death of Jesus as any of the high priests who were crying, crucify him. And yet, God used Pilate to write something so that every single passerby who looked up at the savior of the world being crucified on the cross and they read Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Uh, that's amazing. That's just God, the father flexing the glory of his son for all to see. And I think similarly, irrespective of what happens or has happened in Kanye's heart, that's exactly what God is doing right now as, as Jesus is King by Kanye West moves up the, the, the bestseller charts. 
when people are looking at top seller charts and they're seeing that. Um, he's been on uh, on uh, to late night shows with Jimmy Fallon and with Jimmy Kimmel. And whenever they talk about the album, they have to say Jesus is king. And these are these are men who are far from God who are proclaiming the truth that Jesus is king just by talking about the album. And uh, and we should rejoice that that God the Father is pleased to flex the glory of His Son um, by putting the the news Jesus is King all over um, the place right now. So praise God for that. So those are some just some quick thoughts. And like I said, uh, I just spent I guess about twenty minutes talking about that stuff. And Grant and Erica talked a little bit longer about it um, than both. I think they went in a little bit more in depth on both. So I would encourage you to go back to um, yesterday's episode and listen to Grant and Erica. I'm going to take a quick short break and then I'm going to come back and offer a few thoughts about Halloween. Join Bible Discovery TV at Answers in Genesis Gospel Reset Mega Conference this November 20th to 22nd at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Niagara Falls. Come be equipped by apologist and evangelist and a PhD scientist, including the founder of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, Mr. Ken Ham. Don't miss out on this faith-building event. Go to AnswersInGenesis.org website for information and registration. I'm back, and uh, I just want to offer a few quick thoughts about Halloween. Um, Greg Bonson famously said that Christians, as they uh, study the scriptures and as they understand God's law, ought to be thinking Christianly. That's our goal. Uh, that's the goal of the renewed mind is to think Christianly. Um, and, uh, and so I want to help you think Christianly about Halloween. Halloween is one of those things that uh, can divide uh, some churches and some Christians because people have strong opinions on this in both ways. Uh, the the sort of pagan roots of Halloween are are you know a surprise to no one, and so you have a whole lot of people and in uh, in our church there's a, a few people who were really kind of saved by God out of some really dark places, uh, involvement in the occult and things like that, uh, who still have very very strong feelings about Halloween and uh, and so just remember as you talk about this issue that this falls into the same category that much of 1 Corinthians falls into. When when Paul writes 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, he's trying to teach them about what unity in the gospel looks like. And uh, specifically in some of those middle chapters, right, when he's talking about, you know, there's lawsuits between some of you and, uh, you know, what what does that show the world if, if people who have been saved by the gospel can't resolve their own conflicts, don't take your brother to court. And he says, why not just be wronged, right? So Paul acknowledges that some of these Corinthian parishioners might have been correct in feeling like they were deserved some sort of recompense for some wrong that happened. But he says, why not just absorb that wrong? Like, why not just be wronged? And then he goes on to talk about meat that's been sacrificed to idols, right? And we know that he actually says there's no power in the meat that's been sacrificed to the idols. There's no power in the in the demon or, or in the, the idol or in the meat itself, But he says, if eating the meat that's been sacrificed to idols is going to cause another brother to stumble, then just don't eat it. 
And so Paul really takes this posture, especially through some of the middle chapters of of 1 Corinthians, to kind of talk about Christian liberty and and liberty of conscience, but to talk about how we ought not to use our liberty in a way that causes other people to stumble. So just a few principles that I'm going to pull out of, but just so you know where I'm getting it from, and I would encourage you to go and, and, uh, and really study chapters 6, 8, 9, and 10 of uh, 1 Corinthians, and you'll kind of get what Paul's talking about in terms of Christian liberty. So, so okay, so a couple things about um, Halloween. First of all, some of the background. So November 1st is All Saints Day. The All Saints Festival was first established during uh, the times of the persecution of the early church when the number of martyrs who were, you know, men and women who were dying for their faith kind of accumulated to the point where there, it was just no longer possible to commemorate them all throughout the year. And so they started, they sort of gathered all the saints who had lost their lives and celebrated them all on All Saints Day, which is November 1st. The other thing to note is that in the, I think it started in the British Isles, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there's a day called All Hallows Day. So that's the eve That's the day before, sorry, uh, November 1st. So the day before All Saints Day, it was called All Hallows Day. And the eve of that day, right, which is the night before, uh, was known as Halloween. And in the minds of, of pretty simple people in the British Isles at the time, the night before the day of the Holy Ones, right, so the night before All Hallows Day, was thought of to be sort of a last-ditch last effort to, to party and get all the sinning out of all the unholy ones, which included devils and witches and fairies and, and imps and trolls and, you know, all, all those kinds of things. That sort of superstition, obviously, Christians ought to have nothing to do with. But the question remains, should Christians involve themselves in a celebration that has those kinds of pagan roots? I want to just help you think Christianly because at the end of the day, this is a matter of conscience and I don't think it's a sin to partake and I don't think it's a sin not to partake. There's ways of sinning on on both ditches on either side of the road here, but I just want to help you think Christianly and then I'll offer some thoughts. Um, So the first thing I would note is if you want to excuse yourself and free yourself from the pagan roots of days, holidays, traditions, um, you need to go pretty far. Um, I'm recording this on uh, Wednesday. Uh, we get the word Wednesday from Woden's Day, uh, who was a uh, Norse god, right? Thursday um, is an uh, English rendering of Thor's Day. Um, and uh, many of us know the Marvel character Thor, but he was a, uh, a Norse god of thunder and lightning. So even um, to our the days of the week, um, are uh, like even Sunday, which we get, was a day dedicated to Apollos, the sun god. So, um, so unless you want to come up with a new day of each week, you can't unentangle yourself from some kind of the, the pagan roots of some of these things. Now, nobody thinks of Thursday as Thursday anymore, which means I, I would say I would I would um, bold, boldly say that. Christians defeated paganism here because we don't think of Thor's day on Thursday. We don't think of Thor. We don't offer incense or sacrifice to Thor. Therefore, Thor has been defeated and Thursday has been rendered moot and rendered meaningless. And um, so similarly, let's, let's talk about something that's maybe a bit more of a direct parallel, and that is Christmas. So Christmas 
was essentially um, Christianized by the Roman church who were trying to put an end to pagan festivals. Uh, The pagan festivals that took place over the winter solstice um, included bringing trees, evergreen trees in particular, and ivy into your home uh, during the winter months, uh, essentially praying to the gods of fertility, number one, to bring spring again, right? Because they're just cycling through the seasons, assuming that the gods are uh, in control of the seasons. And in, in some simplistic way, they're correct, but it's the living God who who put the seasons in place. But um, and then also they'd bring in this as an homage to the fertility goddess and the various fertility goddesses around the pagan world because a lot of couples would be trying to expand their family in the winter months. And so it was also just a, a prayer of sort of blessing to help them get pregnant and also for the child not to die in utero. There are all kinds of pagan roots to Christmas as well. And there are some Christians, um, you know, Puritans, um, this isn't exactly the motivation of the Puritans, but Puritans didn't celebrate Christmas. And I think they're wrong about that. And we still have some Christians. In fact, there's a bit of a resurgence going on in the last uh, decade or so of Christians who are saying that Christians ought not to celebrate Christ- uh, Christmas because that's not when Jesus was really born. And even if he was, we shouldn't be celebrating it like pagans. Um, there's also some extreme regulative principle people who say Jesus never observed Christmas as a celebration and therefore we shouldn't either. It's not in scripture, therefore we shouldn't. Um, and to that, I would just simply say uh, what we celebrate at Christmas is the birth of Jesus. And actually James White has a really good teaching on why he thinks, uh, the, the winter date for, uh, Jesus birth is actually probably pretty accurate. Uh, you can Google that if you just put, uh, um, like dating Jesus birth, James White or something like that, it'll come up. But besides that, I think when one of the things I like most about Christmas is that Christmas seems to smell like Christian victory, right? I mean, what other time of year can you put on a secular radio station or walk through a secular mall and hear words like, um, you know, let earth receive her king, um, you know, uh, uh, far as the curse is found, um, oh, holy night when uh, the uh, Savior was born. Um, I mean, it's pretty incredible, actually, uh, just to think of the Christmas cards that even pagans give one another that points to Jesus or has some sort of scripture verse or something like that on it. It's pretty incredible. And of course, there's there's a bunch of materialism and consumerism that is problematic at Christmas time, but it ought not to cause Christians not to celebrate Christmas at all, I don't think because I think that it smells like Christian victory. So relating this to Halloween, I think that we ought to celebrate Halloween in a way that promotes Christian victory or that speaks of Christian victory. So knowing the pagan roots, I think one restriction that parents ought to have and, and, and churches ought to have is that they don't allow their kids to to dress up as a member of the other team, right? Like don't send your kids dressed up as devils and witches and, and imps and uh, ghosts and those kinds of things. Um, I'm not saying that you have to have them all dressed up like John Knox, and I don't, I'm not saying you have to have them go door to door and instead of saying trick or treat, saying Soli Deo Gloria or anything like that. Um, but uh, I do think that uh, we ought to make sure that we are... Uh, 
clear about what it is that we're celebrating. And and the other thing is that um, Reformation Day, October 31st, commemorates the day when uh, Martin Luther uh, takes his 95 theses and nails it to the Wittenberg door, which is, is mostly regarded as scholars as the sort of inauguration of the Protestant Reformation. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's, uh, also very timely and providential, uh, for us who are trying to redeem this day. And again, it doesn't mean your kids have to dress up like a reformer, but I think there are plenty of things for Christians to say that we are celebrating because that's, that's at the, at, at the heart of Christians victory over Christmas was a replacement of the object of celebration, right? So instead of celebrating the fertility goddess or um, fertility in general or the seasons or the earth, Christians celebrated Christ, the Messiah, the Savior who is born King of the world. So at Halloween, if we are to celebrate this holiday, we ought not to celebrate the candy or the um, the devils or the imps or the you know whatever the case may be. We ought to celebrate the Reformation. That's something worth celebrating. We ought to we ought to celebrate All Saints Day and be thankful for not only the work of Martin Luther and the other reformers on Reformation Day, but on All Saints Day. Be thankful for the many many martyrs who died in order to put Bibles in our hands and to to help us obtain the freedoms that we have living as Christians now um, on their shoulders uh, because of their work. So there are plenty of things that we ought to celebrate, but but at, at the core of whether or not Christians ought to celebrate. Halloween is the question, what are you celebrating? And, and I, I think, so this is my personal conviction now, and I, I won't bind anyone else's conscience on this. Um, but our kind of rule is our kids don't dress up like reformers or anything, but they also, they don't, they don't dress up as uh, ghosts or goblins or witches or anything like that. They dress up as superheroes. They dress up as, you know, there might be a day, I hope when, you know, so they, they get interested enough that one of them says, Hey daddy, I'd like to dress up as, you know, some Bible character. Um, and, uh, but, but we will, we read our, you know, reformation books or, or material. We have an ABCs of the reformation because we have quite young kids. We have a, a kind of story book thing about Martin Luther. Um, for some parents who are looking for materials, there's great stuff by Torchlighters, um, both about martyrs, if you want to go the All Saints Day uh, route, or, and uh, there's a great one about Martin Luther. That's the uh, the Torchlighters series. Um, I think they're on Right Now Media, for those of you who have, have a subscription there. But so our kids don't dress up as members of the other team. Um, they're allowed to go around and get all kinds of candy because we also use this as an opportunity to connect with our neighbors. We generally pick some of our, our uh, the, the kids that are our kids' ages in the neighborhood whose, whose families aren't Christians, and we go around and we, we do this with them. They see how we do things a little bit differently. They see what we do and what we don't celebrate, and we build relationships that um, are, are very strategic on our mind because we want, to, uh, we want to be sharing the gospel with our neighbors. This is an opportunity for us to be invited into the homes or at least to the door of neighbors' homes, we ought to take advantage of that. Similarly, you know, even if you don't celebrate Halloween and you don't let your kids go out or whatever, don't be those grumps who turn your lights off and don't let anybody come to the house. I, I would say give out more candy than the pagans, right? Like be generous, show Christian generosity in this uh, in this particular avenue. So I know that there are a lot of churches who do sort of Halloween alternatives, and I'm all for that. Uh, we've done that here at the church before. Um, our kind of rule of thumb is if anybody wants to organize that, we allow them to, and we kind of put some rules in place. Uh, nobody stepped forward for it this year, uh, and so we don't have 
one this year. I don't think we had one last year either, but uh, generally that sometimes will happen depending on, um, you know, the, the demographic of kids that are working their way through. But one of the things I would just, I guess, a caution to avoid for those of you uh, who are doing Halloween alternatives is don't make them pious parties. <laughs> you know, don't, um, don't use it as an opportunity to chastise any parents whose kids do come dressed up as something that maybe they shouldn't. That's opportunity for a discussion, correction. You can put rules in place beforehand, but don't make these, these pious parties. Um, but, uh, but make them celebratory. Don't make them somber, right? A lot of Halloween parties are somber and scary and spooky. Um, Reformation celebrations or all saints celebrations or taking over Halloween from the pagans should look like celebration, celebrating God for what he did through the Reformation, celebrating what God did through, um, the, the bold sacrifice of the martyrs. I say all that just to kind of help you think Christianly about Halloween. Hopefully that's helpful to you. And, uh, and because I'm post-millennial, I believe that uh, this is just one of many areas of culture that uh, Christians will eventually take over. And I think that we ought to do that by practicing now uh, how to celebrate this in a way that brings glory to God, that isn't just acquiescing to the culture, isn't just allowing our kids to get candy because otherwise they'll throw a temper tantrum, but use this as an opportunity to teach and disciple your kids and use it as an opportunity for evangelism. And if you're doing those two things, then I think the words of Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, uh, I think chapter 10, uh, become real to you uh, when he says, whether you eat or drink or celebrate Halloween, he doesn't say that, that's the Nate Rate paraphrase translation in parentheses, do all to the glory of God. And uh, God is glorified when you take evangelism seriously, when you celebrate the things that he's done, and when you disciple your kids. So use Halloween as an opportunity to do that. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully this wasn't uh, super boring, even though I didn't have uh, Pootie in studio with me. Have a wonderful evening, and uh, we'll talk to you later. 